It's good to be back with you all. Um, first, one of the things that we benefit from of being a family of churches is that we often are going through the same series together with uh, Sacred Grace TNL and Sacred Grace Inglewood. Um, and so oftentimes we can switch out uh, pastors and we get to know each other through that way. Um, but what this also means is as we are discussing series, we have to come to a series that we more or less all agree on. And so over the last month or so, as we've been talking about this, we decided that our next series is going to be on the book of Job, which I'm very excited about. Um, but as that decision was made, we realized we don't know that much about the book of Job. So we wanted to give ourselves a little bit of time, more than like five days, to start a new series on Job. So we are extending the Fruit of the Spirit series for two more weeks, so this week and next week. Um, so this week, I am actually revisiting kindness. So if you can think back about six weeks ago, I joined patience and kindness together. But if you're like me, you have a problem remembering what the sermon was about last week. So six weeks ago, you probably didn't need this disclaimer that we were revisiting kindness, and you've just thought, great, kindness, we went out of order. But we're revisiting kindness, and next week, we will do a concluding summary series on the fruit of the Spirit, and then in two weeks, start the book of Job, which I'm very excited about. Um, it's been an eventful week, eight days, nine days for me. So the last Saturday, I ran a 100K race called the Never Summer 100K in Gould, Colorado, uh, which is about an hour and a half west of Fort Collins. If you've never heard of Gould, Colorado, that is for very good reason. There's literally nothing there, as Ruben can attest to, because he was there crewing for the race. Um, but it, overall, the race went pretty well. It was a lot of fun. I don't think many of you would think that was fun, but overall, it was a fun, good experience for me. Um, and then from there, last Sunday, we drove up to Beaver Creek with Kate's family, and we had a week-long family vacation up in Beaver Creek, which was great. We hiked around, we explored mountain towns, rivers, Lake Dillon. We tested the limits of family dynamics by having nine grown-ups and four kids all under the age of six in one house together. Um, we have, so Kate and I have two nieces and nephews, two nieces, one nephew, that are six, four, and one and a half, and then Charlie is six months. And so we spent a lot of time with children, which is great. Children are great. Um, but one thing that you probably hear a lot, whether from a parent, you saying it, or as an adult, you often hear yourself telling children to be kind. Whether it's be kind to your sister, be kind to your friend, or even in the context of sharing. Share with your little brother, be kind. That is encapsulated in kindness. You might hear be gentle, which is, again, another fruit of the Spirit, but part of this concept of kindness. We even tell Charlie, who's six months old, about being kind. It's something that we begin to instill in people at a very young age before they can even remember learning about kindness. Yet, for an idea and a behavior that is taught to us at a young age, we certainly haven't mastered it. Kindness wouldn't exactly be a word that I would use to describe our cultural moment either. We have a virus that continues to create chaos and division, and we are now six months into this COVID life, and we still have disagreements and arguments about how to go about our daily life. 
We continue to have protests and riots and injustice that's manifest all over our country right now. It's very much unfolding here in the streets of Aurora. We have a political climate that is toxic and vitriolic. There is very little, if any, posture or attitude of kindness coming from our leaders and especially coming from our president. If there was ever a time when kindness could be noticeable, that time is right now. It would be powerful and it would have an amazing effect on the world. If we were to give a a survey to a stranger out on the streets, I suspect kindness would not be one of the first words that comes to mind when we ask them, what do you think of Christians? See, this isn't just a problem that people have out there. It's a problem that we Christians have as well. They would likely think of the words judgmental or hypocritical or self-righteous. It's rare, I would say, that Christians are characterized by their kindness. But this sentiment hasn't always been the case. In the New Testament, Paul uses the word krestos, which is only used 10 times throughout the New Testament and is used mostly by Paul in, to talk about kindness. And that's the word that he uses here in Galatians 5. And as you maybe just heard, this word is similar to Christos. Christos, meaning kindness, and Christos, which is exactly what it sounds like, the Greek word for Christ. Because of the similarities of this word, it was common to mistakenly call followers of Jesus the kind ones. This is an illuminating mix-up. Could you imagine this mix-up happening today of people calling Christians the kind ones? I have a hard time imagining that. We have a lot of work to do in regards to our kindness, and especially in regards to our kindness with those that we perhaps disagree with or those that we may not like very much. So what exactly prevents us from being kind? We can call, we can can all name the importance of kindness. We can trace it all the way back to being children. It's something that we want to instill to our kids and to our friends that we want to instill, but there's still a disconnect between what we know about kindness and what we exhibit in our own lives. We cognitively understand that it's good for followers of Jesus to be kind, yet there still is a disconnect between we know what, what we know in our head and what we live out. I'll give you two things that I think prevent us from being kind. The first thing that I believe that prevents us from being kind is time. And at the risk of having too many subpoints, I want to break down time into two other subcategories. What prevents us from being kind is the time it takes to practice time, kindness, and the second being that we are often busy and in a hurry. When we think of kindness, we may often move to acts of justice or compassion. Kindness has an outward movement to it. When we exhibit a life of kindness, we are often moved towards love and care for those outside of us, and especially those outside of our immediate circles. One of the things that our church has been doing over the last six weeks has been connecting with and supporting refugee families that are in our parish and around our city. The Lynn family has been the primary drivers of this, and they would be the first ones to tell you that connecting with these families through acts of kindness take time, sometimes anywhere from five to 10 hours a week. But that time is slowly molded into relationships, which start as tangible needs that are met through groceries or diapers or clothing, 
relationships are slowly developed. And relationships are something else that take a lot of time. And much of our kindness and our love and our compassion should happen in the context of relationships. In order to show kindness through compassion and justice, it requires a lot of time. And that's the first aspect of time. The second aspect of time that prevents us from being kind is that we are often busy or in a hurry. Have you ever noticed that there is a connection between being kind and being in a hurry? And that you're likely not kind to your spouse or roommates or your kids if you're in a hurry trying to go somewhere. Now, we go less places now than we used to, but imagine trying to get out the door with shoes and backpacks and clothing. It is often can be a frustrating experience because we are in a hurry trying to get somewhere. Or if you're in a long line at the grocery store or you're in traffic trying to get somewhere, these aren't exactly the situations that exude kindness from us because we are often in a hurry trying to get to the next thing. Do you think there's a connection between our culture and social status and being in a hurry? Here's what I mean. We may feel pressed for time because we have many things demanding of our time, seemingly limitless ways that we can spend our time, often things that we create ourselves. Yet, this, I believe, can be an indication of our privilege and our social status. If we were to walk down to Colfax and talk with people who are homeless or people who are living in the motels, they likely wouldn't mention that they don't have enough time for all the things that they want to do. Or think about someone who is incarcerated. They have plenty of time and likely they're eagerly counting down the days rather than mentioning how much, how busy they are with the time that they do have. Now this is not to make us feel guilty, but to help us understand that being busy or being in a hurry and being pressed for time is actually an indication of our own privilege and status. It's important to recognize this because many of us, it is our own busyness that we have created, and many of those things are good things, but have limited our capacity to be kind with other people. The ways that we have been busy or are in a hurry can impact our kindness. That's the second thing. These are the two ways that I believe time impacts the way that we are kind. And oftentimes it limits us being kind in general. It takes time, and we are often in a hurry. The second thing that I believe limits our ability to be kind is our commitment to self-sufficiency. We typically want to be sufficient on our own. I know that I am a culprit of this. I typically don't want the help of others. I want to be independent and autonomous and do things on my own. This extends further to being autonomous. We crave being free. We don't want other people's wants or needs to affect our own life. We have long lived in a system that promotes independence and self-reliance and autonomy. We typically don't want to feel burdened by other people, especially people outside of our friends or our family. And on the flip side of that, we typically don't want to be a burden to someone else. Therefore, we work hard to be self-sufficient so that we don't need others and their kindness in order to survive. This happens into a transactional view of people. We may think that in some way our kindness must be deserved, or that if we are asking for help, that it must be earned or deserved. We think that there's a transaction between kindness and reception. To be in need or to be in a place where we need kindness from someone else is an, is an affront to our own self-sufficiency. We have to vocalize a need or a seeming inadequacy that we have. 
And I would contend it's an affront to our pride. We don't want to be a burden, and we certainly don't want to have to voice our needs to someone else. But this is the way that we have been shaped and molded, and it's in, in contradiction with the way that Jesus lived and taught others to live. What's interesting is there's been studies done that show the connection between kindness and people feeling happy and content. Those who do acts of kindness or are characterized as being kind, they feel a sense of satisfaction and contentment in their life. Now, for us, that shouldn't, come to a, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us because Jesus told us in his own words that whoever wants to find their life must lose it. They must give it away. But there's still a disconnect between understanding and knowing about kindness and actually being able to be kind. In the Gospels, we don't see Jesus being self-sufficient. He's constantly going back to the Father for his strength and his connection. We don't see Jesus being autonomous or on his own. He surrounded himself with 12 disciples and even three close friends inside those 12. He was reliant on others, especially women, for the support and strength of his ministry. We don't see Jesus doing a cost-benefit analysis of when and how he should help or heal people. It's never transactional with Jesus. We see Jesus saying things like, those who give their life away will find it. He doesn't talk about being kind and loving when it's convenient to you or kind when it doesn't come at a cost to you. There's always space for kindness and love. And this is a concept that doesn't start with Jesus. This concept of love and kindness goes all the way back into the Old Testament. The Hebrew word that's used most in the Old Testament with kindness that Paul is capturing here in Galatians is the word hesed. You might be familiar with this word. It's often translated loving kindness or steadfast love or covenantal faithfulness. It's used 249 times in the Old Testament, and it's often used in relation to God. It's his love and his commitment to people. This is the defining way that God is referred to, and this is the way that he defines himself. These are the very words that he uses in Exodus 4 when he's talking to Moses. I am the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, abounding in hesed. Kindness or loving kindness, as it's stated in the Old Testament, has always been about relationship and reciprocity. And reciprocity to the degree that even when Israel breaks their covenant with God, God still upholds his side of the bargain. This is a two-way street. It's not one way. Even when it's been broken, it's still there because it's a covenantal faithfulness, a steadfast love. It requires all parties to be totally bought in. Talk about a love and a kindness that is countercultural, a love that doesn't consider the cost that it may be to us. It doesn't ask the question, what happens to me if I don't do this? It asks the question, what happens to this person if I don't do this for them? We've been so strongly formed and conditioned to insulate and protect ourselves, to preserve, to be self-sufficient, and when we are kind and loving in word and deed, it's often calculated or it doesn't come at a risk or a loss for ourselves. I'll help this person because I know them. I'll be kind, but only to this dollar amount or degree. The problem is this is in direct conflict with kindness and love that God exhibits to his people throughout the Old Testament. His love and kindness is never in consideration of, his, of himself. It's always in consideration of his people. This is the same loving kindness that Jesus exhibits when it culminates on, the death, on the, his death on the cross. 
We have much to learn and lots of room to grow. But as this list in Galatians shows and what we talk about it as the fruit of the Spirit, this is the work of the Spirit in our life. This is not an excuse to inaction or passivity, but the weight of becoming more like Christ is the work of the Spirit that we participate in. This is the work of the Spirit in our life. When we are tempted to treat others unkind because we are rushed or in a hurry, our prayer is to the Spirit. Spirit, help me be kind. Help me to slow down, to see the humanity of others. The question becomes, what does a kind and loving person do? We move away from a dichotomous binary thinking of right and wrong. Is this the right thing to do? And we move more and more into the question of, does this further form me into the likeness of Jesus? What does a kind and loving person do? Spirit, help us. To close, we go back to the early church, to the followers of Jesus that were called the kind ones. The thing that made the early church so appealing and compelling was their radical care for others. It was care for their neighbor. It was care for their fellow Christian. And it was care for those who openly opposed them. They were radical in their kindness. This is what Cyprian said in 256. We are philosophers, not in words, but in deeds. We exhibit our kindness, not by our dress, but by our truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. We do not speak great things, but we live great things. See, the early church had this incredible way to connect the things that they knew in their head and impact the way that they lived their life. What if it could be said of us that we are the kind ones, that we are the ones that exhibit a loving kindness to those around us? to our friends, to our neighbors, to those who even oppose us. This beautiful concept of loving kindness that the Spirit cultivates in our life, I believe was culminated in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what we come to this table every week to remember and to embody and to take in, was this loving kindness that Jesus had for us by going to the cross. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having a meal with his closest friends, and he had bread and he had wine. And at this meal, there are many things I believe are fascinating, but the thing that continues to stand out to me was that Jesus continued to extend his table, to extend his loving kindness, even to the one that was going to betray him. So our posture is that we believe that everyone is welcome at this table as well, because we believe that everyone is welcome at Jesus' table. The practice that we have is We typically break the bread and pass it around, um, but we will forego that practice for quite a while, I think. Um, So if you have your communion, we will still break bread together, and we will still mention things that we are grateful for. We believe that communion is a time of gratitude and celebration as much as it is a time of introspection and reflection.